This is the Labour Housing Podcast. Welcome to the Labour Housing Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a very important commission report that came out last Tuesday, the Shelter Social Housing Commission. I'm joined by three brilliant experts who are going to talk us through what the commission said. The first one is Greg Beale, who uh, works at Shelter. He's the Director of Communications Policy and Campaigns, uh, and he previously uh, was Director of Strategy and Planning at the Labour Party, among other things. Uh, Dr. Faiza Shaheen, who was was one of the commissioners who is the director of class um, and who also happens to be the Labour PPC for Chingford and Wood Green and has been uh, named as a rising star for campaigning and won various awards for, uh, for for the work that she's done. So delighted that she's here. And Ed Miliband, who needs no introduction, was Labour leader for five years from 2010 to 15, former Secretary of State, uh, former Minister and former advisor to Gordon Brown back in the day as well. So thank you to all of you for joining us. I love the jaunty tune. (laughs) Um, Explain to us, Greg, first, why Shelter set up this commission and what you aim to do with it. Yes, absolutely. And thanks ever so much for having us on and an opportunity to talk about this. So um, we set up the commission in the aftermath of the the sort of terrible Grenfell fire. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think... I mean, like many others, we looked on at the, the sort of horrific events and then Shelter was actually on the ground working with some of the community in the immediate aftermath. And I think through that process, we um, we sort of became incredibly aware that at the same time as there was going to be an inquiry into the causes of the fire and so on, there was actually this, this huge need to have a, a clear debate about the future of social housing. How had it come to be that social housing had the, the place that it had, mm. that it, there was no investment going in, uh, it was dwindling, and there was no sense of where, where about what the future held. And um, and I think we thought there was a failure on the part of successive governments to provide that. And so we set up this commission really as an opportunity to bring together a group of people who we thought could inject some energy and some direction into that debate. Mm. We actually called it a big conversation while it was going on. Uh, we involved members of the public. More than 31,000 took part in consultation. 31,000? Where did yeah. they come from? How did you get them? All, all around the country. Um, a, lot of it, a lot of it through inviting people online. Over, I think, well, nearly ten thousand of them were social housing residents themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ran events in every region, um, uh, and so we, we wanted it to be a, a big consultative exercise. But we also wanted to get to some answers about where social housing should go in the future. Uh, we wanted to get away from this idea of drift in relation to housing policy, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly, uh, certainly, I'm. Um, I mean, I'm very pleased that a, a, a set of commissioners who came from many different backgrounds, diverse group of commissioners, were able to come to some quite clear, some bold, some some strong conclusions about what needed to be done, mm-hmm. not just to put ha- social housing on the right path, but really to make it the cornerstone of how we solve the housing crisis. Yeah. So Ed and Pfizer, you were both commissioners. Um, why did you get involved? What were you hoping to get out of it? And, and, and how was the kind of process of developing all these policies for you? Yeah, I guess after Grenfell, um, the heightened question around what we do on social housing, and in particular for me, thinking about the stigma attached to living in council housing, yes. one, and that's something we consistently heard and when we went to meet Grenfell survivors, this sense of being second-class citizens. Yes. Um, and that's uh, something that is felt in, by a lot of people living in, in council housing. 
but also from the academic work I've done on inequality, how um, both inequality is driving a housing crisis and the housing crisis is then being reflected back into levels of inequality in the country. So for me, it's obviously a very, very important issue for various, is- for various reasons, but also because of who was in the commission. Um, and I think one of the most um, powerful things about what happened in that commission is how it changed minds of certain people. So I remember in the first commission meeting, some people around the table talking about, well, the market can solve this or the market has a role to play. And, you know, I've looked at this for a long time and thought, no, actually, the market isn't delivering. The market is part of the problem here. Um, And that those people came round and that there was consensus for, you know, a bold set of recommendations and from places that you wouldn't have expected it. I mean, that's that's what's really powerful, I think, about the commission and the report. And and Baroness Barsley said, didn't she, that she she was a commissioner too. And she said that she changed her view, which is which is powerful as you say Ed, Ed the whole commission I think went on a journey through the process I yeah. mean I really noticed it meeting to meeting yeah um, uh, we didn't know at the outset how much consensus there would be or where it would be yeah. and obviously we've ended up with a report that I mean hopefully is transformative to the debate yeah. and reflects reflects the commissioners coming together yeah. around that view yeah Ed, you, you've obviously been an MP, you've been a Secretary of State, you've kind of been around um, housing as an issue for, for a long time. Was there anything in this that, that really spoke to you that you hadn't quite appreciated or anything that really surprised you? I mean, I think I would echo what Fazia and, and, and Greg have both said, which is you know, this came in the shadow of the horrific Grenfell Tower fire and a sense that, you know, it shouldn't that shouldn't just be a trigger to find out what were the causes of that fire and why it happened and it mustn't never happen again but also a sort of wake-up call around social housing and that social housing had been ignored too much as a sort of policy issue and also a sense i had in the in my mind that if we're honest about it both labor and tory governments had failed on this uh, for a, for a generation that you know I'm very proud of the Labour government's decent homes program yeah. upgrading social housing but we hadn't built nearly enough houses mm. and it was a big failure of public policy and this was an opportunity to reorient the debate yeah yeah okay so what were the findings uh, Greg do you want to just give us the top line yeah right so um, so the, broadly the commission talked about two different things so um, first of all it talked about ways in which we can improve the regulation and management of social housing mm-hmm. so in particular the separation out of the consumer regulator from um, uh, the finance regulator and making it much easier for tenants to bring complaints bring action removal of this strange thing called the democratic filter whereby um, people have to raise an issue with a, a councillor or an MP first. You don't have to do that with schools. Mm. You don't have to do that with hospitals. Why are we doing it with housing? So a whole set of recommendations about making it easier to get high quality provision. But then secondly, and certainly the thing that um, uh, people really focused on uh, last week, the Commission recommended a significant expansion in provision of social housing. And in particular, recommended that that expansion be social housing. So, so not these different types of products products, affordable housing and so on, really the expansion and investment in social housing. Mm. It recommended the building of 3.1 million new social homes over the next 20 years. And what, just to interrupt, so your definition of social housing as opposed to afford, what does it, what does it mean, just to be clear? Yeah, very much, very much the same as we're using the definition of social housing today. Yeah. So this is housing at probably 50% or just under market rents, yeah. made available to people 
uh, on the basis of um, uh, a secure lifetime tenancy. Okay. Um, the Commission also recommended that that number comes about from making sure that there's enough homes for people who are in need and at the sharp end, uh, basically on the current criteria, we've got 1.2 million people on the waiting list now, yeah. but then extending the offer of a social home to to, to people who currently wouldn't be able to access it, and that includes this, you know, over a million uh, young families, people who are looking at spending their lifetimes trapped in private renting, bringing up families, bringing up kids in insecure private renting, and also seven, almost seven hundred thousand older people who are over the next twenty years looking at spending their later years, their retirement years, uh, with their income dropping when they take a pension, but without their, their housing costs dropping because they're renting private. Mm. And um, rather than sort of rather than sort of advocate for the current system, which is sort of different products for different people, the Commission took the view that what we should be doing is investing in this single product, this social housing product, mm. whether it's council house or mm. housing association, and making that widely available across mm. that group as a way of tackling the residualization and the stigma that's uh, attached to attached to it today. Mm. Uh, the other thing that got a lot of attention, which I think is going to be a, a powerful. Um, contribution to the, this debate over time is that the capital economics looked at the, the financial case for this. Yes. There's no doubt it requires upfront investment. Uh, we're looking at uh, the sort of gross cost being about £10 billion over, uh, on average over those 20 years. But actually, it's such a good investment for the country. It's different to other types of expenditure that once you get to 40 years, it's actually paid for itself. Paid, yeah. And after that point, it goes on. The, 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 the country's actually a net beneficiary from investing in housing of this type and making it available in yeah, this way. Yeah. We haven't really seen housing as kind of infrastructure in the same way that we would build in the roads or the railways and, and I think as an investment asset for the country Absolutely. it's been something that we've sort of missed. Um, Ed, in terms of the, the kind of stigma of social housing and um, the, the view perhaps that's out there that yes we need to build more council homes but you know not for me thank you very much that's not something I want is, is this the commission seems to as you've just explained Greg broaden out to all other kinds of um, housing need how important is that in, in, in terms De of your findings? Definitely and you know in a way we're quite guided by the history of this you know Nye Bevan obviously famous for being Minister of Health but was also in charge of housing after the uh, Second World War 800,000 homes built in five years the Tory government went into I know this thanks to a great book called Municipal Dreams um, the, the Tory government went into the or Tory party went into the 1951 election saying you haven't built enough homes mm. uh, 800,000 isn't enough um, and, and there was a sort of there was a kind of cross party consensus that it was an investment as yeah. you say and it was about need the, those most in need but it was also about aspiration it was also about you know it was a broad range of people who could access social housing i think the other thing i learned during the course of the commission is even if you don't live in social housing now and aren't going to this matters to you because decent social housing is the bedrock of a functioning housing market why, why do i say that because if you look back at the some figures that shelter produced for this for the report which i think are really interesting the private sector in the 30 years after the Second World War and in the 30 years after that, the, the most recent 30 years, built about 130,000 homes each year on average. Mm. So it's been consistent, actually, mm. in the post-war period. It's in the social rented sector where there's been a massive drop-off. It's something like 125,000 a year in the three decades after the Second World War, 125,000 each and every year, and 27,000 in the last 30 years. Now, 
if you're building a hundred thousand fewer social homes each and every year that is going to have an effect on the housing market for everybody in rising prices lower home ownership a rising and insecure private rented sector so i think part of the point of this report is to make the sort of to use the jargon a sort of majoritarian case this, this matters to people yeah. right across the country whoever you are getting this right yeah yeah and in terms of the economic case so the argument that um the Labour Party perhaps is, is, is having now with with, with um, uh, trying to persuade um, people that we need to invest in order to save in the long run. How um, can you describe the, the economics behind this and the, the, the reasoning behind why we should invest in housing on this scale? Yeah, I mean, I think this is somewhere where it was very, very strong, the argument, and this is where it pulled over some of the Conservatives around the table um, was two way. I mean, main, mainly the amount that we spend on housing benefit right now, remind mm-hmm. me of the figure. 21 billion 21 a year. 21 billion a year. Which is an insane amount of money. And so the way in which that then gets costed out as we build this this new these new social housing. But also for me, and I don't think this is probably emphasised enough, is the multiplier effects. There's something, you know, that when you build housing, construction work has a high multiplier. So you employ loads of people, they go out and spend that money. Um, if you think about all of the ways in which it will uh, affect the lives and livelihoods of people that then live in that social housing, there's lots of long-term positive impacts for the economy. Mm. Um, and, and I think actually people did get that housing is an asset because housing is an asset. People get it in their own personal mm. lives. So they understood it in this social housing mm. context as well. Mm. Um, and then obviously the Labour Party is talking about infrastructure investment in all kinds of places. And this is almost an easy win. And I, you know, I think it's very clear that we can do a lot on, on this bit. And just to add the point about who this is for, not just for those in most need and younger population, older population. I can speak as someone, as a millennial, still in private rent in. The only reason I can just about maybe afford to buy a house now is because my mum died and we sold the house and we got a little bit of deposit. My mum died 20 years younger than she should have. That shouldn't shouldn't be the case, right? Um, My husband and I are both from working class backgrounds. Um, And then on the other end, because I'm out canvassing every week now, housing comes up again and again and I hear a lot of older people in their 50s say to me, um, I'm really concerned. How am I ever going to stop working? Because I'm privately rent right now. Absolutely. How am I going to handle this? Absolutely. And it's a big cause of stress yeah. Yeah. amongst that population. So, you know, that point about expanding out, not just those most in need, is mm. critical. Mm. Um, and, and not just in terms of the economics, um, not just in terms of stigma, but actually just because their need is there. I think this point about older people is really important. And in a way, if there's one thing that I didn't, you know, I was ignorant of before the commission, that, that you know, where the commission made a difference to my knowledge, it's the, the number of older people. I think it's a third if we don't act at risk of ending up, you know, their income drops in retirement, and that, but they're stuck in insecure, high-cost private private rented sector housing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as Fazio says, it has this kind of incredible. You know, they face this terrible dilemma. Yeah, I mean, this um, woman and people in tears. Like that's what you see. They talk about the future and they just can't face it because yeah. there's shelter. The housing is is just not there. Well, and think about, for example, um, 
think about the home adaptions that are needed as yeah, people get yeah, older. Yeah. Think about making what it takes to make a home dementia friendly, yeah, for example, yeah, which is something we're going to need yeah. to do. What private landlord is going to want to spend £15,000 getting a home ready for somebody that they can live in when they're 70 and 80 when there's no security? You, you, people could be asked to leave at just a few months' notice. So it's, it's um, the countries that are doing this well around the world, Austria, Singapore leading the way, are doing it through publicly built housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it equips the country as much as it helps those individuals. Yeah. yeah. So looking at um, consumer rights and this idea that you set up a new um, regulator, obviously if you're in social housing, your choice is you, you, you can't change social housing provider. It's not like I'm going to change my bank or I'm going to change my utility provider or I'm going to not buy from that shop. So you fundamentally, you're kind of quite limited in what you can do. And that's, you know, certainly in, in my experience, people feel worn down and, you know, they're not going to complain yeah. necessarily about the things that have gone wrong because what's the point because no one's going to fix it. So you've got some quite radical ideas to try and get this um, consumer angle moving a bit and get people uh, decent housing. How is that going to well, work? Well, that's right. So th- they're radical for the housing sector. But mm-hmm. I think it's worth saying that what we were looking at when we were looking at you know, good regulation is where it works in other areas. So, um, I mean, actually, we talk about an Ofsted-style regulator for housing. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? Well, you can do inspections that are unannounced. So you can turn up and make an inspection uh, without needing to plan it in advance. You're looking at consumer standards, which currently largely the regulatory system System doesn't look at and you're not just having this really basic test about whether a, a house is habitable mm. you're looking at to try and improve everybody up to good or excellent level of quality mm. and they do seem like radical ideas in housing because of where housing regulation is mm. but actually compared to most other sectors they just they were just modernize housing regulation and mm. um, the other thing that the um, uh, the, the other insight the commissioners had which I think reflects the fact that they were not housing people by background but had all this broad range of expertise was the idea that we should have a single regulator single consumer standards regulator working across private and social renting um, simply because wh- why should people expect different levels of standards when it comes to the quality and safety of their home yeah. if they're renting privately or if they're renting uh, from a public provider and interestingly that idea of a single regulator across private and um, social rented sectors uh, came out of a workshop we did in Doncaster where somebody said I remember I rang Greg up and said look you know one of the tenants just said I think they're a private sector and they said look why can't you just have the same standard and the same system of regulation whether you're you know wherever you wherever you live that seems fair enough and, and there was general consent to that idea and I remember ringing you up and saying look I think this is a really big idea yeah. literally came from the participants the some of those people taking part yeah yeah, yeah. amazing and what's the response been? What have people said about it? Are people welcoming? Who said what in response to this? Well, it's, it, we, uh, well let, let me let me say so. I mean, a shelter, we've been incredibly struck by the response. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, uh, sort of at each level. So. Um, uh, so, I mean, if, if I start at the top, I mean, the politicians are very interested in it. Um, I mean, not perhaps not surprisingly, because of the investment case that Pfizer was outlining, yeah. it looks like it looks like this is a no-brainer in terms of the public finances and the economy. Mm. If you take a long-term view, not if you take a short-term view. It looks expensive if you take a very short-term view, but we would argue that we've been taking a short-term view for far too long. Mm. Um, uh, I mean. 
actually actually a very favourable response from people in the housing sector, including uh, informally from the regulator. Mm-hmm. I think there is a recognition that uh, consumer standards have played second fiddle mm. and that probably they, we can't go on like that. Um, and then we've had incredible support uh, response from people wanting to get involved in the campaign. And I think I think I think we were already over uh, fifteen thousand people um, sign, signing up to support the campaign within twenty four hours after launching it. Um, so uh, and, and it does seem to me this is something where people getting involved and making their voice heard has the potential to change the debate. Yeah. And how do we do that? How do we get tenants more vocal? How do we get people? campaigning for these issues how do we actually get to that step change that this calls for because obviously we've been saying there's a housing crisis for a long time I, mean, I think tenants would say that they have been vocal i mean they've tried to be vocal but they haven't been listened to right that is the story behind grenfell that they said that there were these problems and they were ignored and yeah. um, you know i think the regulations part is really about power and um, who's had power in this market of housing um, and who has been stigmatised and not listened to. And how you turn that, given where we are, is a big job. Um, and, you know, there's, there's stuff in regulations in the report, there's what you do around tenant voice, it's very important. I think some of the things that we're learning from the Renters' Union, which yeah. I, I know that you guys had on recently, um, so for instance, um, some of the renters that are then coming together are trying to take a stand or then getting bad referencing for the next housing. So there's lots of things that need to be ironed out there, but we have to pay as much attention to how much we build, and tenants keep telling us this as well within the commission, how how many houses we build, but how we build it and who oh, we yeah, give power absolutely. to. Yeah. I, I think the other thing about this which is important is it really is an issue, and we speak in a sort of uh, a week which is going to expose the countries and the parliament's divisions on the on the B word. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a this is an issue where genuinely it crosses the divides of, of politics. Yeah. You know, mm. Tory, Labour, Leave, Remain, old, young, North, South. You know, everybody's affected by the housing crisis, and and so, and I sort of feel like we're pushing a, a, an open door. But as as has been said, you know, it's not like this. It's it's kind of. The housing crisis isn't a new, uh, a new discovery. Mm. Um, I think part of what we all on the commission are very keen to ensure is that this isn't just we've done the report goodbye, but that this is a continuing campaign, mm. and that's why it's so important to sign up the fifteen thousand people and, and hopefully um, more. And you know that's why I mean I speak personally. I'm sure it's true of all commissioners that we're going to stay involved in pushing this issue mm. because. It's partly about telling that new story about the investment case, who it's for, that social housing is a bedrock of a functioning housing market. But I think that is that story isn't a story that's necessarily been told very much in the last forty years, and we need to we need to tell that story and enforce that story, you know, right across politics and 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 society. Yeah. I mean, there's still very strong, powerful, vested interests in keeping things, let's face it, right? You know, things have come up in the House of Commons, votes have come up where you've seen that happen, where there could have been votes to strengthen the rights of people living in private and social housing, and that hasn't been done. So I think that's why we need so many people to sign up and join the campaign, because we need to build that power base by which to fight some of those vested interests and, and make the broader case for change. Absolutely. I mean, it's a broken market, isn't it? We're, we're, what we're suffering from is a really badly broken market. In any situation where you've got a market that's not working well, there are people that do well out of that. 
and that's that that's the vested interests that need to be overcome i think one of the things that's so significant about the report is it, it sort of shows the extent to which government is one of the people doing badly out of that broken market yeah. you know if renters get a bad deal the government's paying 21 billion a year and the year. government is taxpayers remember so it's you right that's right that's right that's right yeah. so um uh, and i think i think that's for me that's the thing that's got the potential to sort of start to change the way people yeah. think about yeah. you know whether we need big solutions yeah. on this uh, this might be an old thing to say on the labor housing podcast and by the way i'm very pleased to, to welcome you to the podcasting community uh everyone should have everyone should have their own podcast in my uh uh in my view um but but i think you know Tory voices on this. If you think about the post-war experience, there was a sort of arms race yeah. between Labour and the Tories on this. Yeah. And actually, that's quite good. Yeah. I mean, for people I who was, live in was, housing, yeah. in social housing, that's good. I was about to say, I mean, there has been a shift. I mean, yes, this is the Labour housing podcast, but talking about the Conservatives, there has been a shift in at least the way they talk about yes. these things, if yeah. not backed up by funding. Because, you know, back in 2015, they were fighting the election against yeah. uh, the reforms that we were calling for and saying you know we don't want more council housing because it'll mean the rest of us won't have enough housing to own our own home and it was completely bonkers economically but they are and and but they seem to have shifted and that you hear it more and more from the back benches if not the front benches as well the the, the need to shift the housing market and to change the things that we're funding well and one of the things i hope the report will do because you're absolutely right that the tone and the language has mm. changed i hope the report puts down a clear marker for how that has to be backed up with a real plan, with investment, and the kind of numbers of homes we need. Because you know the first thing that changes should be the language, but then it's got to be followed up by real money and real investment. Yeah, yeah. No more of these you know, small announcements. I, mean, I think the other, thing to, the other thing to say about this is, look, the, the current government is saying it wants to build 300,000 homes a year. So that's Macmillan-esque in its sort of numbers. There's no way you get to that without building yeah. At least a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand social homes every year. I mean, it's just, it's just not, yeah. it's not conceivable on the basis of the historical record to get to that number. And the number, I mean, in the in six months of last year, the number of homes for social rent that were funded by government and completed was three hundred and seven in the six yeah. months from April to September. Actually, so although that's quite a long way off, hundred and fifty thousand, quite a long way away when you're talking about the right kind of housing that actually we need to be building. Okay, so where do we go from here? Last question. What happens next? Is there a, is there more campaigning? Can people sign well, up? Definitely, can people this is definitely the start involved? of the process. I mean, I'll let my commissioners say um, uh, what they think should happen. But I mean, please, if, for people that are listening to the podcast, please do come to the shelter website, have a look at the report. There's a lot there. Um, uh, there's a lot we've not even been able to get onto today, and sign up to be part of the campaign. In the end, it is people that are going to change this. It's people that stand up to broken markets, and uh, and we're incredibly grateful for everybody's support in trying to get there. Yeah, for me as a director of class, and um, we've been working on housing for some time, is to continue continue to make this point and to, to build this narrative around the benefits of building this housing. Um, and, and we need to just get more and more people to understand that. So when it comes to whenever the next election is, you can see in the manifestos that whatever party is a support for this type of bold reform because they know that voters want it so you know for me that's that's continually going out in the media and getting housing in as much as possible but also yeah. continuing to to back up what we found here in reports and, and if people are thinking about what they can do themselves if you're a renter and um, join the renters union get involved in the sorts of things that are trying to change the shape of how things are done in the housing sector yeah, I, I I would echo that, and I I think you know we want this if it doesn't sound arrogant to be a sort of benchmark against which 
you know, politics is judged um, in terms of the scale of ambition and some of the reforms that are in it. We want to take this around the country, talk to people about it, listen to what they have to say, try and sign them up, up to this. And, and, you know, we want in the next election, whenever it is, and we want it as soon as we can, you know, in part to be about your scale of ambition on social housing. Yeah. Because because in the end, this is, you know, it's, it's nice to do a good report. But, you know, uh, in the end, this is about changing the fabric of the country. Yeah. And that's and that's what we want uh, this to, to help bring about. Yeah. And I think as MPs, the vast majority of casework, I don't know whether yours is, but mine is certainly housing. And quite often it's people in private rented, awful accommodation, no powers, no rights, desperate to get onto council housing. Absolutely. And there's nothing I can do because their homes aren't there. So we absolutely need to revolutionise everything we do. And I think getting involved is what the message has to be to as many people as possible. Brilliant piece of work. Thank you very much, all three of you, for coming on and uh, onwards and upwards. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we love the ladies. The Housing Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>